Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to Troubling Issues. It's a podcast about comic books, but it's for everyone, whether you like comics or not. Every fortnight we read a single issue of a comic book and talk about it in somewhat ridiculous detail to entertain and hopefully inform you about the comic and a heap of other stuff. If you want to, you can read along with the book, but you don't have to. Now, this comic we're reading, that uh, it may be good, it may be bad, or it might be a little bit crazy but it'll definitely be noteworthy. I'm Brad Daniels, comics writer, artist, and fan, and this week's guest is noted performer and all-round good guy, Scott Driscoll. Uh, hey, yeah, Scott, how's it going? Good, good, and yourself, Brad? Thanks for having me on the podcast. Uh, my pleasure. I was trying to think of someone nerdy who I knew, and you popped to mind for some reason. Well, I am pretty nerdy, that that is true. Uh, you, your, nerdy, your nerdiness goes... Uh, similar directions to mine but uh, also very different ones yeah, uh, yeah i was wondering could you tell us a little bit about yourself there scott a little bit about myself okay uh, so i was born at a very young age uh, <laughs> Classic. uh not not sure how relevant this is but i was adopted uh if that oh. make, make, means anything to anyone out there uh, i was adopted into a family basically a sort of a footballer um uh tradey kind of publican kind of family so of course i immediately went completely off the rails and became as nerdy and geeky as i am uh my my earliest memories of sort of geekdom was probably about uh, third grade when i was in school and my uh my year teacher or my class teacher mr strudwick uh gave me a a space family robinson comic wow i devoured it end over end over end like we probably read it a hundred times. It's one of those old gold key comics. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, like I think Disney did a lot of stuff with those. I, I remember maybe seeing things like um, Black Hole had a gold key comic and uh, Condor yeah. Man had a black key comic. Battle uh, of the Planets. Battle of the Planets had a gold key comic. Yeah, yeah, true. Um, but yeah, no, I loved everything sort of superhero-y or sort of uh, colourful growing up. I had my very first ever costume that I ever wore was a Batman costume from the Batman 66 TV series. Legendary. Uh, Love it. I had a really bad Spider-Man costume uh, <laughs> that, that, I, that I bought, I think, from the, the department store in Toowoomba. And it was basically a plastic mask and a smock that tied up on the sides. <laughs> gloves or pants or anything with it. It was basically just like two rectangles with a Spider-Man symbol on it. Wow. Yeah. Uh, uh, that's excellent. So they, you, it obviously, like, took... Uh, took to your b- being very strongly because you you continue to uh, cosplay to this day. I do, yes. Yeah, Perhaps yeah. with a little bit more effort put in nowadays than you did back then. <laughs> well, I was so disappointed by that Spider-Man. I actually do remember being really disappointed by the Spider-Man costume. 
Um, and yeah, so yeah, as as an adult and leading into adulthood, I always used to like to get dressed up. And now with pop culture conventions, sadly none in 2020, um, it gives you that opportunity to 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 get to get dressed up in you know your your geeky finery, as it were. Yeah. Uh, getting dressed up it's something that everyone likes to do to a yeah, degree exactly. yeah yeah sometimes um, even like the most slovenly person will put on their nice t-shirt every once in a while yeah yeah just to you know just to show that they're you know that they're part of society yeah <laughs> uh, that, that's great well and i was going to ask what your relationship to comics is but you i think you've pretty much covered that there is there anything else you wanted to throw in um, there was quite a while where I wasn't into comics, um, probably in my late single digits and early teens. And mm-hmm. it wasn't until I was probably about 16 again that I started up collecting comics again with, um, there was a, an Iron Man series I was getting and it was when the, the Green Lantern core comics started coming out and I started getting that one from issue one. Oh, Wow. Um, oh yes, uh, I remember that Green Lantern Core uh, comic, the cover to it, mm. with, with all the Green Lanterns facing front on a white background. Yeah, yeah, it was a good one. Yeah. It's like I, I remember sitting there thinking, Green Lantern, there's supposed to be one for every you know seven basquillion parsecs of space, and all of a sudden now there's nine of them on Earth. <laughs> yeah, it's like uh, poor, uh, uh, poor HR control there just <laughs> overhired on the one one place one yeah, division yeah. just put in the best uh submission for for more staff yeah uh, uh, i admit that we are living in a in a golden age if you are into comics with the proliferation of superhero tv shows and movies and like the merch that's available like i'd have as a child or a teen i'd have killed for the kind of merch and, and access to uh stories that we've got these days yeah, yeah absolutely i mean to give you an idea how much things have changed uh i had uh, a niece of mine moved into a flat and they found a Do- doctor who sonic screwdriver in the couch Nice. So I have a sonic a, a sonic screwdriver that I got because someone left it in the couch. That never would have happened when no. uh, when I was growing up. That would have been someone's most prized possession. So yeah, that's good. So well, today we are going to be reading and looking at uh, Amazing Spider-Man number thirty-three from mm-hmm. February nineteen sixty-six, written and illustrated. It's a that's an interesting process I used. Um, written by Stan Lee and illustrated by Steve Ditko. Uh, these are both people I've talked a lot about on this show so far, but this is like my first sort of like, honest to goodness, this is them working together. Uh, and it's a bit of a legendary issue, and I grabbed it because it had a couple of, uh, well, uh, one very famous scene in it. But I'm not sure of the overall quality of the comic. But we'll get to that as we go along. Uh, so anything you want to say as a preamble before we get underway there, Scott? Um, well, when, when you gave me the, the comic to read, I did also make sure I went back. Because they're, they're, um, epis- they're not standalones, they're episodic, I did go back and read the comic before it just to get that little bit of uh, context mm-hmm. uh, before, I, before I read this one. So it's always good to, to just go into this with maybe a little bit of knowledge of what's happened before so you can you can 
understand it rather than be going, why is Spider-Man all of a sudden in a purple suit for whatever reason, you know? Yes, the purple suit, suit Spidey. Well, the cover, let's start there. Yes. Um, and it says the final chapter, which is a bit of a giveaway <laughs> that uh, this might be not the start of the story. Um, yes, it's and it shows... Yes? It's a bold statement for a comic that's only been going now for about four years. Uh, yeah. Yeah, like I mean, final chapter. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, but uh, hyperbole is a very big part of uh, Stanley's uh, vocabulary. Everything is the ultimate, the best, the biggest. Um, uh, it, as it says on the first page, it's possibly one of the most thoroughly satisfying Spider-Man sagas you have ever thrilled to. Um <laughs> So, you know, he's, he doesn't do things by halves. Uh, no. Very overblown sort of stuff. So, yeah, the illustration is of uh, Spider-Man. Uh, appears to be in a leaky sort of like water-filled environment with a, what looks like some sort of large uh, engine block on him or something like that. Some sort of large piece of equipment, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, of course, it says the final chapter. Uh, and water is gushing from the ceiling, so it looks uh, looks like he might be in a little bit of trouble. Yeah, Spidey, uh, how is he going to get out of this? Indeed. Uh, so yeah, it's like it's an interesting cover. I don't know, like uh, unlike a lot of the covers from the early Spider-Man comics, they usually uh, have a lot of text on them, a lot of copy oh. explaining exactly what's going on. Uh, if we were look, if we were to look at the previous issue, which you did, we got you know it shows um, Aunt May in the hospital, you know, and explains that Aunt May is gravely ill, and uh, Spider-Man tearing tearing things apart, man on a rampage. Yeah, uh, this is a lot more, uh, a lot less crowded and a lot more direct, which is a very a bit unusual for comics of this uh, of this time, I'd say. Well, because they're trying to sell it, like with the, the additional text on the covers, they're trying to sell it to, to someone that maybe hasn't bought the comic before. Mm -hmm. uh, I, know, I know if I wasn't a Spider-Man fan at the time, the way my brain works is I would probably look at this cover and go, well, I've never bought a Spider-Man comic before. This one's telling me that this is the last part of the story. Should I buy it? Yeah, and I think that also has something to do with... Uh the 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 popularity of Spider-Man at this stage, mm. because it was really it really was a sensation uh, back in the day, particularly amongst uh, college-age uh, readers. Uh, it, it started as like comics were still widely considered kid stuff. Yeah. Uh, Marvel comics started bringing out their books, uh, Fantastic Four, Amazing Spider-Man, uh, Captain America, Avengers. Uh, and they just, they suddenly got a following of young adults, which has never happened before. Uh, uh, well, not for many years. And I think it, this is like saying it was like, yeah, pr at least three years since his first appearance of Spider-Man. It had reached a point where they could just do away with the, like the advertising blurbs and just go, this is it. Like Spider-Man, you know about it. Uh, we don't need to sell it to you. You want to read it. Yeah. That's my interpretation of that. Oh, look, I would agree. I would agree. 
But yeah, looking at the looking at the previous comic, the, the, the certainly the cover was a lot busier. Okay, so well, let's let's go on inside. Uh, the Amazing Spider-Man, the final chapter, once again, and we have our little recap, which is a thing that uh, all but all but uh, done away with in comic books these days. However, uh, it's by TV shows, because you know you get to that you get that genre television show, and they'll start previously on Buffy. And yeah, yeah. Go over thirty seconds. What had happened in the last couple of episodes? Mm-hmm. And that's basically this page. Yeah. Uh, Aunt, Aunt May is dying, as she always is. Uh, Doctor Connors ca- uh, needs ISO thirty six to get a <laughs> a serum to fa- save her. There's all these baddies, uh, henchmen of Doctor Octopus in yep. an underground, uh, underwater secret lair. Um, I will note with some interest that the uh, their uniform colours changed from the last episode, the last issue to this one. Yes, well. That's not uncommon. It was like it was still a bit of a fly-by-night uh, organization, Marvel Comics, back at this point. Yeah. And uh, famously, uh, Stan Lee would get people's names mixed up all the time. <laughs> uh, so I think they're like uh, Ant-Man, particularly had was had three or four different names before they settled on Henry Pym. Okay, I wasn't aware of that. Thank you. No worries at all. Uh, because he, like, at this stage, like, he was, uh, Stan Lee was doing all the scripting for all, basically every Marvel comic. Uh, and it was, yeah, he, he got confused. He got confused. Uh, and then we are shown at the little, like, well, like the feature panel of the page, uh, the, the, uh, the container with the ISO 36 Lying out of reach of Spider-Man, nice up close to the comic, uh, close to the uh, camera, I should say. And Spider-Man just defeated underneath this gigantic piece of machinery. So, yeah. any thoughts on that? Um, well, where's it going to go from here? Like the, the Spider-Man's trapped under this huge piece of machinery. Surely he's not strong enough to shift it. He's lost. Um, he's lost all of his mojo. He feels like he's failed. Uh, it's a really good spot to start the comic on. In fact, I, I do like to say that Spider-Man's uh, superpower is uh, complaining. Because um, he starts straight away. I failed. Yeah. I just when it counted, counted most, I failed. But yeah. I can't give up. I must keep trying. So uh, the way the comics were done at this point in history was that uh, Stan Lee and the artists would get together and Stan would give them an idea of what he wanted in the story and the artist would also contribute to that the artist would go with a rough outline would go and do all the artwork uh then stan would come in at the end and add the, the words uh so when he first got this it would just been pages and pages of spider-man underneath uh, uh a gigantic engine block yeah uh and uh, then, then the words added afterwards, and I think that it shows sometimes they don't actually, they don't totally match up. But this, uh, uh, we'll flip over to the next page where we start having uh, Spidey's soliloquy, talking about how he's got to do it, but he can't, but he's got to, and all that. Uh, so on this page, Brad, like he's obviously like according to the the shape of the speech balloons, he's actually speaking out loud. So yes. would you think, though, in, in reality, he'd just be thinking these things? 
Uh, yes. Uh, I think, well, here's the thing, Scott, and I. you might want to sit down if you're not already. Oh, hang on, hang on. Okay. okay. Spider-Man, he's not real. Uh, oh, oh. So when you say no, in reality, no, would he be no, thinking my them? World, my worldview is destroyed, Brad. Uh, I'm sorry, man. I mean, I mean, yeah, he would. You'd imagine he would think it, but as I said, that's why I call it a soliloquy because he's just yeah. like he starts just yavering away to himself. Yeah, and I think that's very much a uh, a Stan Lee thing that he he does very much love the spoken word, mm. uh, which is like why he's he found such success in later life playing small roles in movies. I don't. <laughs> Um, but yeah, so I think, yeah, it's, it's an internal monologue, but it's externalized for the dramatic effect. Uh, like we would do on stage in a, in a uh, Shakespearean play where the player steps to the front of the stage. Exactly right. Exactly right. Uh, so there's a lot of back and forth and this is, this is a particularly legendary sequence of pages with, uh, with Spider-Man's trapped underneath the this uh, this machine, because it's like uh, it has been uh, let's see referenced and called back and redone many many times in yeah. the oh, I don't know was it sixty years now that he's been around? Um, yeah. So uh, yeah, it's sort of like this is like a an ur text an early. Uh, originating text for the whole Spider-Man never gives up in spite of the odds. Mm. Uh, so, yeah. We, as we go by, he's like, oh, he tries and he just collapses back to the ground. Oh, he's so exhausted. Then he looks at the canister of ISO 36 and he sees images of Art May and, and his uh, late great Uncle Ben floating in front of him. And he like... I must, uh, no matter what the odds, no matter what the cost, I'll get that serum to Aunt May, and and maybe then I'll no longer be haunted by the memory of dot dot Uncle Ben. Yeah, I, I believe they also reference this scene in one of the movies as well, where he's trapped underground and there's water, and he sees a partial reflection, which is one half his face, one half Spider Man's face, or something. Ah, uh, was that? Ah, oh, that that must have been one of those amazing Spider Man films. Yeah, yeah. I, I have no recollection of that, and I was I was going to comment that I thought it was surprising that they didn't have, they've never actually done this scene in one of those films where he's just trapped underneath a heavy thing. But he, if they did do it, and I forgot about it, is that what yeah. you're saying? Yeah, I remember because th there's a puddle in front of him, and I think his mask is off, and so it's yeah. actually floating in the water, and then the other half of of the reflection is his face, and then there's this internal fight between whether he should just be Peter Parker or whether he should continue to be Spider-Man and mm -hmm. he should, both of them are strong and he should be able to get out of this and he gets out of it obviously because you know his name's in the title of the film <laughs> that's always a good way of uh of trying getting into a very strong position to win is having the film named <laughs> after you yeah uh except for um uh what was that one B million dollar baby that's oh, okay. Not, not, didn't work out for her. Not so much, no. Not so much. Okay. Uh, so, uh, okay. So, yeah, he's he re resolute. So, uh, the next page, page three, uh, mm -hmm. the saga continues. 
Uh, and he talks about how he's got all this strength and he's going to use it. And he starts pushing up. Now, do you feel the? Uh, how do you feel the the words and the te- words and the art are working uh, for this sequence there, Scott? Got any thoughts on that? Well, I really like on page three. Like he's he's obviously in a bad place. He's starting to you know get more more push towards the point where he's going to he's going to do the right thing and he's going to get ahead of this and he's going to push the machine up off him and then you can tell that it becomes more and more unbearable when the balloons the word balloons change color <laughs> oh well, I've, I've actually the version i've got here because i'm looking at a printed version that i have from marvel masterworks and the, the words don't change color Oh, okay. So, you're, so uh, the, the version that I sent you is obviously different from the one I have in front of me. Oh, boy. Uh, but I, I would buy that. That sounds like a – they sometimes make senseless changes to these things. Well, when you get to the, when you get to the, the sixth panel, when yep. you start – my head, it's spinning. Everything's beginning to whirl around. The strain, it, it's unbearable. Yeah. In the previous five panels, the word balloons are just white with black text. Yeah. Uh, in the sixth panel – the, the word balloons are yellow, uh, oh. a little bit darker. Oh, boy. Well, that's like he's certainly not messing around then. No. So he's, he's pushing off, off off the ground, going on to page four, and it's like we get to see the crack in the ceiling, which, of course, we can't just see the crack in the ceiling. He also has to narrate that there's a crack in the ceiling. He does have to talk about it at length, yes. Yeah. <laughs> he says, I dare not give up now. Uh these are all um, very tight in on him for the first yep. couple of panels of Spider-Man. And, and then we pull back and we see that he's, he's gotten, he's almost gotten it off. Uh, as the actress said to the Bishop. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, he, and that concludes with the next page, page five, which is well, a very, sorry. Just on page four. Yeah. I do the same thing again. Where the first three panels, the the word balloons are white. Ah. Lifts the machine up, and he's got his hands underneath it. They go to the the yellow with some bolded text again, just to show that strain. Yes, that's fantastic. Uh, yeah, and then it, it conclu- uh, like we have the crescendo on page five, which is a very rare thing for comics in 1966, which is a full page panel, just one image for the whole page where he. Yep throws it off um uh, then under the uh, agonizing ache of his limbs seems unendurable his superbly muscled body suffers the torment of a virtually indescribable ordeal from out of the pain from out of the agony comes triumph and then rather anticlimactically he says i did it i'm free i'm free exclamation mark um, now I, I've played a lot of role-playing games in my life. And one of the ones yes, that indeed. I enjoyed is the Marvel superheroes role-playing game. Mm-hmm. One of the things that the characters can do in that is if you need to do something that is above your strength or, or whatever, you can take damage or spend on an action, taking a, a negative effect to get mm-hmm. a positive effect. So what in my, in, in my brain, what he's doing here is he's he's spent 
some of his karma points, which is the, the points that you can spend in that game. And he's briefly elevated his strength so that he can push the machinery off. And so going forward, he will probably have some sort of negative effect. Ah, well, that's exactly what happens. It's almost as though the people who designed that game read comics like this and said, how do I translate that into a mechanic for a role-playing game? Exactly right. Yes. Uh, so, yeah, like, once again, very notable. It's sort of like very similar to what, um, going back over the first five pages, very similar to the famous Death of Superman comic, mm. where it started out with, uh, like, there was one left pe- less panel on every page until it ended up in a gigantic double-page spread where it was one panel on two pages. Yep. And we start with a lot of smaller, close-in images, and then the more he struggles and closer he gets to to success, we we get bigger panels uh, and bigger and bigger until it's he breaks free and it's just one big image. Uh, this is um, this is uh, like uh, unusual for comics of this era that they would actually play with the format like that. Mm. Uh, they were very uh, samey in the way that they were paced and the way they didn't weren't using the media to its uh, to its full potential for storytelling quite often. So this is like uh, yeah, just like a nice example of an early example of like using the comic format uh, in an unusual way to tell the story, not just through words and uh, like illustrations. On a grid, yeah. Um, it, 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 look, it gives it gives the page six stuff a little bit more dynamism. Yes, uh, and it shows movement in the story, which is nice. Like he picks up he picks up the the canister of ISO thirty six. Uh, we see the roof breaking. We see more water coming in. Uh, all of a sudden, like there's a huge deluge of water. Yeah, uh, it's 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 actually kind of nice. It moves the story along rather than just being an almost static image of Spider-Man trapped under the uh, under the wreckage for the previous five pages. Yes, indeed. Things are, start happening. At the, I particularly like that uh, Ditko, the way he shows that uh, Spider-Man has a limp. Yeah. It's just like, it's that's quite hard to do in a static image, and he, he does a good job. He, there's a lot of grabbing at the leg, yeah. but it still works really well uh, yeah. in the in the context of a story. Well, he looks so, yeah. interesting. Yeah, absolutely. And then he gets like knocked off his feet by this like wall of water that comes down. Now, all this water in this is very stylized. It doesn't <laughs> look like real water, but it looks like Ditko water. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, like the yeah. the underwater base appears to be like in the the, the New York River. Yep. Yeah. Like that water would not be that clean. <laughs> True, true. They they would not be colouring it uh, blue. They'd be colouring it brown. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, he gets swept down, like, with a heap of machinery and things, which are cool, like, sci-fi machinery, because Ditko did a lot of sci-fi comics yeah. before he started on the, the superhero uh, thing with Spider-Man. Uh, so he gets swept down uh, and comes up for air, and you say, oh, what a relief. Uh, you flip, flip the page on the pe- page eight and like he gets dragged straight back down underwater. Yeah. 
which I think is some great storytelling. It was like, oh, like you, you're like, oh my god, thank god, because everyone has the fear of like drowning and not being able to breathe and uh, have it like, oh, relaxing, and then turn the pages like, oh my god, uh, that was just a nice little touch, I think. Well, you know, it's 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 there's there's a threat, then there's suddenly no threat, and then there's the unknown threat. Yes, indeed. And we have a little underwater fight scene on uh, page eight. Yep. Uh, very very brief he pulls he does the old trick of like pulling off their scuba gear tubes and they like the baddies they like we're out here gets up and then it's like uh the classic the gauntlet has not finished yet he has like uh let me do a quick count eight baddies one two three four five six seven yeah at least eight at least eight henchmen sitting there ready to beat the tar out of them The only way to reach the exit is to fight your way through us, they yeah. say. So, so in this in this panel, they're in purple and dark purple uniform. Mm-hmm. Previous uh, comic, they were in like red and yellow. <laughs> well, uh, maybe they are their costumes like water sensitive, and they change uh, color uh, in uh, when it gets wet. So it's it's like hypercolor. Hypercolor, I love it. Body glove. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, henchman outfits by body glove. Love it. Yeah. I think, well, there you go. We, we, we get a no prize for that, I believe. I, I think so, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and if you don't know what a no prize is, uh, I just couldn't be bothered explaining it. Look it up. <laughs> Look it up. Look it up. Uh, okay. So Spider-Man, he gets out of the water. He's dripping wet, and he starts speechifying a little bit. You know, I've got a job to do and nobody, nothing, no power on earth is going to stop me while I still live. Yeah, I, I like that they rush him all at once. Yes. They, they've, this is the days before uh, Kung Fu films. Yep. So they knew, they knew what to do. They just they wail on him. So he dives into them carrying, like, I, like in, his, in his situation, I would have put the container down. Yeah. But he's like, no, he's got it in his hand, and he's he's just getting like smashed. Like there's lots of little impact uh, effects yep. from from these guys' fists, and they're real. They're really doing a number on him. Yeah. Uh, they're they, even. They sorry. Powered? After you. Are they su- are they super powered? No, they're just dudes. But I mean, like Spider Man can lift fifty tons. Yeah. Like why is he just pasting these guys? Uh, well, he's sore and he's tired. And he's got a sore leg. <laughs> got a sore leg. Uh, yeah. <laughs> he he he's on saying, you know, uh, he's he's resting. He the the explanation that's given in the story is that he's resting by letting them beat him up a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> that's how I do it. Yeah, it's like ah, uh, so he can regather his strength. So he's like. Uh, so he's just taking this pummeling and he's like, okay, I got, uh, I'm ready. Uh, we go on to the next page, which is another, another action scene, pe- page 10. So we're, we're really flying through this book here, which is Great. lovely. Um, and he says, I got to start fighting back now. But what I like about the way he fights back is that, uh, he, like, once again, this now he's not speechifying. He's thinking while he's doing it. I guess Stan Lee 
uh, thought, thought, you know, if he was speaking all through this, it might be a little bit too much. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, the bad guys keep on pummeling him, and they say, oh, he's getting stronger. And he says, I'm not going to give in. I'm not going to give in. And he thinks of his uh, dear aunt again. Uh, and she, her face hovers there above him. And what I love about it is that the, basically the way he wins is he just like, like I would fight in in primary school. Yeah. It just he's just closing his eyes and swinging wildly. Yeah, yeah. If, if their fists, if their faces get in the way of his fists, that's on them. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so after a page, like, oh, well, let me see. Yeah. After like two and a half pages of basically punching things and getting punched. He's standing there swinging his arms and he realizes that he's he's gotten rid of all the bad guys. They're all on the ground unconscious. And uh, he's looking in bad shape. He, yeah. he's, his like, posture, he's slumped. His he's head's exhausted. Bowed. Yes. Uh, he's got the, the isotope clutched to his chest. He goes up uh, some uh, some stairs and out the uh, out through a ch- trap door. And then, page 12, he gets to Dr. Connor. Now, we all know Dr. Connor's secret. He, he voted um, Republican? Uh, no, he's proud about that. <laughs> he's the but lizard. He, yeah, what he's not proud about is that the fact that he's a lizard man. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So he's like, uh, he, he also appears like in Spider-Man films. Mm-hmm. In fact, uh, in the original uh, Sam Raimi Spider-Man films, they had Dr. Connors show up for the first three films, uh, setting up for his eventual appearance as the Lizard, and then they rebooted, and it was someone else doing a yeah. different Spider-Man, different Lizard. But yeah, he's got one arm. He, he figures Lizards can regenerate limbs, so he yeah. checks himself with some Lizard DNA or something like that. And uh, turns into a crazy lizard man. Mm-hmm. But when he's not being the crazy lizard man, he was a mentor and helper for Spider-Man. So, yeah. So now, from memory, um, the lizard first appeared in about 1962. He's one of Spider-Man's first villains. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is this is a 66 comic. So he'd have been well into his lizardy ways at this stage. Oh, yes. He would be skinking all over the place. Uh, yeah, but uh, this is like, well, uh, this sort of like introduces a thing that we can discuss as we go along. That Spider Man, particularly in the early years, and even to this day, is basically just a soap opera. Yeah. Uh, about some misfit kid and his troubles, his romance, romance and family troubles that he has uh, over the years with uh, people dressed up as uh, animals trying to beat him up. Yeah. And don't forget his job woes. Like oh, his, yes. His job boss bully. <laughs> yes. Toxic work environment. Oh. Well, we'll talk about that soon. That's good yeah. stuff. Now, there's, a little, uh, there's a little sidebar here on page 12 where he's got to test this serum against his own blood, um, which I'm sure was something that uh, Steve Ditko was very thought was very important to show because he yeah. really wanted to have uh, a level of realism mm. uh, to the stories and stuff like that. So uh, I, you know, he think like, we've got to test it to make sure it's going to work because, uh, yeah, Peter Parker 
besides being a superhero with the proportional strength and speed of a spider, is also a big science nerd. Yeah. Uh, and a genius, basically, who can create web shooters and other things like that. Uh, and yet another superhero from this era with uh, a backstory based in radioactivity. So you look at Spider-Man, bitten by a radioactive spider. You look at the Hulk, blown up in a, in a, in a nuclear bomb blast. Uh, the Fantastic Four, who went to space and had a poorly shielded spaceship, so space radiation gave them superpowers mm-hmm. uh, because people were deathly frightened of radioactive um, technologies. Exactly right. And this is like, it's not a, not a new thing because the original Flash basically got his powers by drinking heavy water, yep. which is like radio, radioactive right waste. Uh, don't try that to get super speed, no. folks. That's not going to work. It's um, on your way to your grave. Yeah, but it, it was definitely much more prevalent uh, at this point in time with the atomic age and everyone's into that. Next page, Dr. Connor says, yes, it's all good. They line up that he's going to go to the hospital uh, and give them the serum to save his aunt's life. He, he gets there, you know, oh, you know, like total soap opera stuff, you know. We've done all she can, but she's sinking rapidly. Lucky you got him. I'm Spider-Man. <laughs> Doctor, there's an urgent phone call for you. Uh, Spider-Man shows up, gives him the serum. They say, why are you helping this woman? Because he's a superhero. Because he's a superhero, yeah. He sounds and and is a remarkable, remarkably physically um, like her nephew. Yeah, and no one notices that because, like... Like, if you were, if someone showed up wearing a costume like that, you would not pay attention to what they sounded like. You would, yeah. you would be completely uh, uh, just gobsmacked by, by their appearance. Um, at least that's my justification for it. Sure, why not? <laughs> so he finds out he has to, they have to wait uh, two hours to find well, out no. if the serum works. He, and, and then Spider-Man is, you know, he's still super worried about his aunt and he can't wait two hours, but um, he just leaves. Yeah. Well, he says, i got to do something to fill in this time. So this is like more sort of like, uh, you know, showing the, showing the, uh, the, I don't know what to say, the day-to-day uh, routine of how... Spider-Man works, so he goes back to the scene of a crime to take photos because that's his job, and he needs yes. needs money to pay for his aunt's treatment. So it's like most um, superhero comics up to this point would never have, never have spent any time showing him setting it up and thinking about how he was going to get get the, get the cash together for this. Um, I just so think. That, this whole plot could be taken out of the story if Americans had um, socialized medicine. Yeah. Well, uh, I agree uh, totally, but that uh, they didn't have it back then and they barely have it now. So we'll see how we go. Yeah. Oh boy. And then we cut to, um, cut to his workplace, the daily bugle. Yeah. Uh, And there's Frederick Foswell, the crime reporter, yep. who at this stage of the story was a, a bit of an ally to Spider-Man. 
after initially thinking that he was a crime boss, uh, he realized he was wrong. And we see the, uh, Spider-Man's boss, the irrepressible uh, J. Jonah Jameson, uh, looking like a Cheshire cat when he thinks maybe they, maybe we've got something that can put Spider-Man in jail. Because you might not know this, but he hates Spider-Man. He does. He's, he's not a fan of Spider-Man. And uh, Betty Ross, uh, early uh, romantic interest for Peter Parker, uh, and his secretary says, Mr. Jameson, you're smiling. Is anything wrong? Ah, oh, boom. Sick burn. <laughs> yeah. But I believe Frederick Foswell was also a bad guy. Uh, I can't recall. I know he ends up dead. Uh, that's all I know for sure. I, I'm pretty sure he... Oh, big, hmm, I think he had... He was a character called Big Man who, like, worked for the Kingpin. Okay. From memory. I might, I might Google it while we're talking. That sounds like a good idea because that's what I was about to do. But if you do it, I don't have to. Okay. Uh, yeah. Rich Foswell. He had a team called the Enforcers. Uh, he was employed by them as muscle. Uh, and he also assumed another secret identity called Patch as an underworld informant. And he secretly followed Peter Parker to see how he got exclusive photos of Spider-Man. Oh, wow. There's so many things going on in this story. Yeah. Oh boy! Well, that's that's all in the future for Foswell uh, because he is he's basically acting as a ally to Spider-Man. He, mm. uh, Spider-Man, of course, is once again it's all about him getting the exclusive photos. <laughs> so uh, he can pay for his uh, his aunt's medical bills. Yes, indeed. Uh, which is like once again the influence of Ditko to this these sort of stories. I don't think this is something that uh, Stanley would have spent a lot of time on. Uh, uh, Ditko, I mean, he's a fascinating character. Uh, I think I've mentioned several times on the podcast before that he uh, reportedly was a follower of objectivism, the yes. philosophy of, uh, what's that name, uh, Anne Rand? Yes. Um, which is very much like, you know, there's right, there's wrong. Uh, the strong get what they deserve. Uh, it, people, the weak get what they deserve. Um, you know, uh, very much like the power of you, sort of like like individualism, sort of stuff. Uh, and but he's also like he, like he was also like oh god, he was sort of right wing, but he had like. Uh, philosophies of like social justice and he was very like law and order but then he has characters like J. Jonah Jameson which is just um, is he a self-made man? He's a buffoon and it comes out that he he, the reason he hates Spider-Man so much is because he could never be as heroic as Spider-Man is yeah Uh, he confesses that so it's like it's an interesting uh Interesting uh, contrast in, like, his beliefs and the stories that he gets involved in. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay, so Spider-Man, we're on to page 16, so we're we're fast approaching the end of the issue because there's only 20 pages of story in this, which is uh, uh, short 
comparatively to many comics these days, but they they do pack a lot of things in. I'll say that much. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, the, the bad guys get uh, the the thugs who we managed to knock out all get uh, dragged away by the cops. They mentioned that uh, Octopus has disappeared. Yeah. And he then goes into uh, back to the Daily Planet. Uh, the Daily Bugle. Oh, did I call it the Daily Planet before? Did, yeah. Oh, no. God, I'm <laughs> going to get so many messages. Superman's going to stab you. Uh, well, the, the, uh, the, the, the advantage I have is no one listens to this podcast, so no <laughs> one will send me messages. Well, I uh, will certainly start listening now that I'm on it. <laughs> well, that's one way to uh, expand the listening uh, audience. I like it. Um, so we go back to J- Jonah, JJJ. Uh, he's super happy that he's got this exclusive story. Yep. Uh, he says, oh, I should have gotten pictures. If only we had photos. And who shows up limping away but... Uh, Peter Parker, and there's Betty, sees him coming in. And this is where he goes full soap opera. Yep. Uh, Betty rushes up, and he's like, I don't want to deal with this. And she sees his face. He's got some plaster on there. He's all bruised and beaded and battered. And he spins a story about how he he doesn't care about the the danger. He just wants the money. (laughs) It's part of the job. His um his life at the moment is very concentrated on the fact that his one remaining blood relative may or may not yet die in the next like hour. Yes. So he's maybe he's maybe he's being a little bit harsh with Betty. Yeah, absolutely, is being harsh with Betty because it is revealed through a dramatic flashback that she uh, uh, her brother, who she loved, died because he didn't want to give up his dangerous life and. Peter knows exactly what he's saying here because he yep. wants to like, he wants her to scram because he's no good, and she's like, oh gosh, I lost someone once before because he wanted to live dangerously, and she rushes off in like full like hand on face sobbing sort of like pose. Why must bit... you always crave action? But she's got a she's got a fist up over her eyes. <laughs> yeah. At least she's running with the other hand out in case there's anything in the way. <laughs> That's right. She could uh, she could do herself or injury if she's not careful. Yeah. Maybe she craves action. She, uh, I think she just maybe she does in deep in her soul, but she's anti-action at this stage. Uh, yeah. So I I love that little like that image of her running off. Um. And Peter sits there holding his bung leg, uh, you know, and says, I'm no good for Betty. I never will be. Uh, so, yeah, it's full, full on, like, uh, soap opera stuff. Peter walks in, and he's like, he is not his usual self with uh, J- Jonah Jameson. Usually Jonah, Jonah, like, pushes them around. And he, uh, in this instance, knowing he needs this, cold hard cash plays hardball shows Jonah the pictures Jonah's like oh yeah 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 give them here and he says nah you pay first mother freaker yeah uh, and 
So he's yeah. got to get he's got to collect enough to pay Aunt May's medical expenses and get my microscope and other equipment out of Hawk. Does it, it like that happens a lot to Peter? He's he's often not got his microscope. It's yeah. often like in Hawk. Yeah, I mean there have been more modern stories where he he's rich and stuff like that, and I think they they're perhaps losing some. He always ends up poor and broke at the end. Like there was a recent storyline where he he patented all of his adventures inventions and ended up running a multinational company. Uh, but that sort of like is not the essence of the Peter Parker character, I'd say. No, no, no. he's he's always got to be slightly late on his rent. He's always yeah. got to, you know uh, negotiate over the price of his his photos with J. Jonah Jameson. J. Jonah Jameson's always going to screw him slightly with the with the the, the money. Yeah, yeah. Even this, even in this instance where he's getting a hundred dollars each, which was in 1966, was buco bucks. It's pretty good. Yeah, and um, and Jonah is like he doesn't realize they're worth twice as much. <laughs> Rubbing his hands together. Um, yeah. So he's always I. One of the earliest Spider-Man comics I read was a team a team up with Superman. What a what a epic crossover that was. Yeah. And I remember him drinking some milk on his way out of his apartment, and he said, "Oh, this has basically turned into yogurt." And <laughs> I, I think that's the essence of uh, of of Spider-Man and Peter Parker. That he's just like can't even afford milk that yeah. isn't turned. Yeah, look at the look at the second panel on page eighteen. Mm-hmm. I think he's probably only got about nine or ten photos, so we're not yeah. even over a grand. Yeah. Yeah, it's going to be tough times for Peter coming up. Uh, he, he he really gives it to to JJ, you know. Uh, compared to you, Scrooge was a reckless devil may care spendthrift. <laughs> um, and he limps back to the hospital, uh, and he sees the doctor, and he says. Uh, the doctor has a look at him because he's like all beat up, mm. and like Peter's like, "Oh gosh, I hope he doesn't discover I've got radioactive blood." Like that's a test they're going to do. Yeah, and, um, and like, tell he, the doctor can tell that Peter Parker is in pain because his legs bent. <laughs> For sure. <laughs> and as he's getting examined and worrying about his secret. Uh, a nurse shows up and says, we have the final series of test results on May Parker. Spidey thinks this is it. Yeah. And we find out she's okay, folks. Now, there's something weird on my copy of this, on the, the fifth panel on that page, on page 19, yeah, that yeah. reoccurred from earlier. The, the doctor or orderly or whoever it is, is I think maybe meant to be African-American, but he's been grey uh, grey toned in the three panels that he's been in. Aha, uh-huh, that sounds like a thing. Well, you're you're doing better than me because uh, he's only in he's if he's the same doctor in three panels. Oh, there's two panels from earlier in the comic. Two panels from earlier in the comic. Yeah. All uh, right. Spider-Man right. headed back to the Daily Bugle. Yeah, let me have a look here. Yeah. Oh well, in in my comic, he is he is. Uh, Coloured as a uh, brown, brown skinned, yeah, but only in the one panel. Okay, so yeah, I've got 
I've got two panels of him on page 14 where he is grey. He is grey. <laughs> um, and then the one panel on page 19 where he is grey. Oh, crikey. Uh, well, that's it. Well, this, I'm obviously got a recolored version here because he's regulation uh, uh, African American brown in yeah. this image here. Anyway, Peter gives himself a smile. Aunt May asks for him, and uh, everything's going to be fine. He says he's smiling. You know, everything's turned out. I wonder where Spider-Man fits into this, asks the, the Doctor. Um, and he's, Peter Parker says, well, maybe he's not as bad as people think. And he walks off in a little sequence of uh, sequence of panels as the Doctor lowers the blinds on Aunt May as she smiles in her bed, recovering. And uh, Peter Parker limps off... Uh, and the guy's thinking, oh, too bad there aren't more young men like that. You know, too bad someone like him can't be an idol for teenagers to imitate instead of, instead of some mysterious unknown thrill seeker like Spider-Man. If only he knew that he was looking at the mysterious thrill seeker called Spider-Man. Oh, the irony of it all. The irony. Oh, too much to, too much to handle. Oh, boy, boy. And of course... Speaking of like uh, publicity and stuff like that, the very last panel of the comic is a teaser for next issue, and it sounds like it's got you keen there, Scott. Oh, I'm a big fan of Craven the Hunter. I think he's, I think he's an excellent villain for for Spider-Man. Yeah. Uh, and yes, the next issue is the return of Craven the Hunter, uh, and then uh, Stan Lee's p- uh, sign-off, which is the "Nuff said." Yes, indeed. Uh, so there you go. So that was a 20-page comic and a cover from uh, Spider-Man number 33. Uh, let's see. Overall, we'll do ratings in a second. So I want to talk a little bit about the the uh, place that this has in in comic history, uh, the place that these early Spider-Man issues have. Because I think we covered most of the important things that Spider-Man... Spider-Man, uh, soap opera... Yep. A down-on-his-luck superhero, which is a thing that we definitely did not have uh, at, at that stage in comic history very much. I don't think I don't think DC really did a down-on-their-luck superhero during this time period. It was Spider-Man was pretty much the, the go-to guy for your, your down-on-the-luck. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, all their superheroes uh, were either test pilots or scientists or or rich people. Millionaire playboys. Yeah. I mean, the closest you'd have is Clark Kent, and even then, he doesn't have the troubles that uh, he couldn't have the troubles that uh, Spider-Man has. Well, and and look at the fact that you go to the DC Comics every two and a half issues, Superman's got a piece of coal in his hand and he's crushing it into a diamond. <laughs> That's right. Oh man, that was his favorite. That was his go-to trick. It really was. Ah, oh. yeah. So he's never going to have to worry about like paying for. Lois Lane's uh, hospital costs or something like that. Yeah. Or Martha. Uh, Martha's hospital bills. <laughs> Martha. Martha was dead at that stage. Uh, yeah, in the 60s, Spider-Man, uh, Spider-Man, Superman's parents, both sets of parents were dead. Yeah. And they, they, they vacillate between being alive and dead, depending on what well, the current usually, fashion is. Usually the dad's dead. Usually Jonathan Kent is dead. Yep. 
more than Martha is. Actually, that's that was brought in by the uh, the original Superman movie. Yeah. yeah. Pa Kent died, and Ma kept kept on keeping on. But then you get to things like um, Lois and Clark, where they're both still alive and hale and hearty, and apparently in the the prime of their life. Yeah. Uh, well, I I guess so. So yeah, it depends on the fashion of the day. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, uh, like I said, it was it was a real cultural phenomena, Marvel comics. Yeah. Uh, it, it just really took off, and it, it's like it's basically where it is today because of those early uh, creativities and the early issues and the work of Stanley and his very talented artists. Now, there's a bit of a there's a controversy about how responsible Stanley was. Mm. Stanley loved taking credit for things, and uh, eventually, this sort of like led to falling out between him and some of his best artists, like yeah. uh, Steve Ditko, who just I think the story is, and I don't know how accurate it is, that they got into an argument over who. Uh, the Green Goblin would be. So they uh, they had a storyline where the Green Goblin was going to be revealed. Stan wanted it to be uh, Harry Osborn's uh, father. Uh, and Steve just wanted it to be a random person that no one had nothing to do with Spider-Man because that was the most realistic thing. Yeah. Uh, and it just basically it came to a head and he just stopped doing spider-man and he said no not going to do it anymore yeah uh uh uh, so i don't know how accurate that is or whether it was a clash over his political beliefs or uh but there was a lot of bad blood in later years because uh ditko felt that stanley was taking credit for the creation of spider-man when you know it was at least 50 percent yeah steve ditko it happens like both Marvel and DC, there's there's been a lot of um, controversy down through the years with creators' rights and um, whether or not people get paid for the work that they did or they own something. All of a sudden, it's popular. Like it's, I don't think there's been many more um, industries in the world where there's been so much contro- controversy about people getting paid for the work that they did. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, there's, oh, there's, you, I could do a podcast just on that and go on for ages. Yeah. Uh, if you want to listen to, like I've mentioned it before on, like uh, uh, I've done a couple of Jack Kirby comics and I've, uh, the How the Duck uh, yep. issue we did, like like How the Duck Disney, it's all, it's all messed up. It's all messed up. Uh, but... With that said, I think I've covered the what I wanted to talk about generally about the comic. Now let's do some final judgments, shall we, Scott? Final judgments. Okay, so good comic, bad comic, or a weird comic. It can be good and good and weird, or bad and weird, or it could be good and bad, or it could be a combination of all three. What do you uh, reckon about this book? Look, to be perfectly honest with you, Brad, I think it's a good comic. It starts at a good place. Spider-Man's in trouble. He works his way through that trouble. He gets himself out of the trouble, uh, which immediately goes into some conflict that while there's no to to Spider-Man, like those the goons in the purple suits aren't gonna aren't gonna kill Spider-Man. We know that. 
Um, but you know, there's still some peril there. He has to he has to fight his way through it. Yeah. He comes up with a creative solution to his problems. Yeah. Uh, obviously, we're at the end of an arc of the story to do with uh, the ISO thirty six. Um, there's a little bit of your sciencey stuff in there that proves that Spider Man's not just a uh, an acrobat guy that punches dudes. Mm-hmm. Uh, we we then see a little bit of his personal slash work life with the interaction between him and um, Betty, with the interaction with him and J. Jonah Jameson. Um, and then we finish on a really nice ending where, you know, he saved the day, um, his secret is still safe, uh, and then we get a little bit of a, of a hint, like that sizzle of the next, epi- the next episode or next issue with yeah. Craven. So I like yeah. it. I would say it's good. I wouldn't say it's particularly weird. It is pretty much standard uh, comic book tropes and comic book narrative uh, that didn't appear to um, divert too much from uh, the formula in this one. Yeah. Uh, I uh, When I picked this comic for this episode, I was like, I knew the main reason was the whole opening sequence where he, yeah. he's trapped under the machine and eventually gets it off. Um, as the actress said to the bishop, mm. uh, but I think yeah, like I was when I was reading, I was like, oh boy, this this is really heavy on the the uh, soap opera side. And if you haven't read the lead in uh, issues or know who these characters are, I imagine it would be a bit of a weird introduction to this to the uh, the whole uh, saga. Yeah. But I do like the I really like the way he had to go through this gauntlet. So it was like just getting out from underneath that piece of machinery wasn't enough. He also had like endure a flood and a fight and then get across town. It was like all this other stuff. Uh, so it's definitely not weird. Yeah, it's good. Uh, not not the best early Spider-Man comic. No. Definitely notable for the themes it introduces and that that sequence, which has been referenced so many times. Uh, and I sort of wish that I had chosen uh, just a weirder one. Uh, there was an early Spider-Man issue. I, I can't remember which issue it is, but he gets a letter. Spider-Man gets a letter saying, hey, we're making a movie of you. Do you want to star in it? And he goes yeah. there and it's a mob of gangsters who are trying to... <laughs> Like, it's just weird. Like it's just, so he ends up in a movie. There's gangsters who are trying to get rid of him, but they're doing it by luring him into a movie. And I think the lizard shows up in that one as well. And Green Goblin. It's super super weird. And I sort of wish I'd done that one because it would have been a lot more fun. But this is actually <laughs> this is actually probably more uh, more of an example of what Spider-Man was about in the, those early years. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the final sequence of panels where he walks away and it's like he's not getting any glory and it's like people hate Spider-Man. It's just like that's just the essence of the character. Yeah. And it's superpower of whinging about that. Um, superpower of whinging. So I'll give this a good one as well. Uh, oh, I forgot. I forgot uh, something when we were going over the, the layout of the of a program there's one other thing we do before we finish talking about the comic which is Ooh. say what lesson we learned from this comic oh okay uh so the lesson i learned is like there's a lot of you have to do a lot of planning if you're going to take photographs of 
of of, of a criminal bust if you need to sell it for money. There's yeah. lots of uh, lots of nitty gritty uh, planning and uh, oh, I can't think of a word, so I'll just cut that out entirely. Yeah, <laughs> a lot of minutia on how to yeah. get those photos in this issue. Yeah, great guide for getting photos. That's what I learnt. It's a roadmap to getting photos. Yes, it is. <laughs> um, what did I take away from this? Like Spider-Man spends a lot of the time trying to get to, you know, to save Aunt May, and he could very easily have just given up in that first panel on page one, uh, and then like drowned to death in the underground lair of the Doctor Octopus and the Master Planner. But no, he didn't. He knew that he had to to save some people. They they couldn't do it without him. He had to, you know, take up his aspect and raise up his attributes and and get out of the underwater lair and go and save Aunt May. Yeah, uh, his problems were bigger than him. So yeah, making sure that you uh, you uh, solve all your problems by perseverance under um, perseverance under extreme problems yeah yeah perseverance perseverance under extreme conditions yes fantastic good stuff yeah. well i think we can uh with that bombshell we can <laughs> close the lid on that particular close the page on spider-man number 33 yep and uh maybe wrap up a show sure. uh we've got a couple of uh last segments we do before we we close the book on totally on this uh podcast uh first of all is there anything you would recommend for people to read or watch or experience instead of or perhaps uh as well as spider-man number 33 okay okay um just recently i have uh purchased i'm just grab this right here um okay the comic uh, called Count Crowley, Reluctant Midnight Monster Hunter mm -hmm. uh, by David Desmalchian, Lucas Kettner, and Lauren Affey. Um, uh, you would know David Desmalchian as being uh, Ant-Man's Russian offsider from the films. He's, he's an oh, actor. Yeah. Uh, it's very good. I would certainly, would certainly suggest people look up Count Crowley, Reluctant Midnight Monster Hunter. Nice. Uh, on television, uh, I have very recently been enjoying a TV show available on Australian Netflix called The Detectorists. Ah. It's very good. It's about a group of mid-UK uh, metal detecting sort of club dudes that um, it's just about their lives and then finding stuff. It's very well written, beautifully acted. It is an excellent show. Cool. The Detectorists. I'll, yeah. I'll put those in the show notes for people. Sure. Uh, I will throw out a couple of video game recommendations. Ooh. Uh, I I am currently playing Death Stranding on the PlayStation 4. Uh, it is a game about delivering things through an apocalyptic landscape. Um, it is... It has, <laughs> it, the gameplay can get a bit dreary because there's lots of falling over and rain and stuff like that. The story is mad, mad insane. It's like it's almost worth just the drudgery of like going 
trudging through the rain and trying to stay upright with the load on your back just to find out what the heck's going on in this crazy story. Uh, so that's a provisional recommendation if you're into a game. Like, be aware that they, uh, the gameplay doesn't get fun for many hours. Okay. Uh, but the story is very interesting and batshit. Uh, and if you want something that's fun straight from the start with a cool story, if you're into that sort of thing, I will say uh, the Age of Cal- Hyrule Warriors, the Age of Calamity, the prequel of sorts to uh, Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild, uh-huh. as, uh, where you play heroes uh, running around killing many, 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 many monsters. <laughs> it's not unusual... Like- not unusual to uh, uh, kill a thousand baddies in uh, a mission nice. with your sword, and they go flying away like confetti. Uh, it's a lot of fun, and it's got some interesting story for people who wanted to find out more about the world of Breath of the Wild. Cool. So those are my recommendations. Oh, cool! I think we've I think we've done it. I think we've okay. done it. Scott, do you have anything you'd like to plug before we wrap up this uh, episode? All right, plugs. Um, uh, I'm taking part in a couple of shows in the Brisbane Improv Fest. Hmm. That's a, a veil. I'm sure you'll have a link to that. I'm figuring a couple of them as well, Brad. Absolutely. Um, so I'm sure there'll be links to that in the uh, the, the show notes. Uh, look, I'm a performer for Impro Mafia. I also do stuff with a group called Act React. Um, I'm a registered member of the Queensland Ghostbusters and I'm an official Jedi with the Rebel Legion. Wow. Um, so yeah, look, performance stuff uh, coming up. Uh, we're doing a show, uh, Brad and I are in a show that's a improvised Doctor Who, uh, and yeah. I'm in a show called State Mandated Storytime, uh, <laughs> with the, uh, the Improv Fest, uh, and I'm sure there'll be other Improv Mafia stuff and other Act React stuff coming up. So Brisbane Improv Festival, February 18th to 21st. Uh, yeah, I will be doing the Doctor Who show with uh, Scott and many other talented people. I'm in a show which name I'm not sure of, Something Travelling Band, which is an all-ages show with music and kids and all sorts of crazy stuff. Cool. And I, God willing, I'll be doing a return to my Detective Noir show, uh, Hard Boiled Dick. Uh, which should great be happening. Name. A great name. It is. I, I like if if the shows are as good as the names I come up with, I'm happy. <laughs> uh, yeah. So Hardball Dick is happening on the 18th of February, uh, and that should be fun. And uh, should be like two person noir uh, with uh, maybe some music thrown in as well. Uh, thank you so much, Scott, for being thank part of the podcast. It's been lovely you. having you along. Yeah, it's great. Uh, you're definitely uh, one of, like, I get some guests on, not complaining. I like having guests who don't know a lot about comics, but it's lo- lovely to have someone who knows a lot about comics on the show as well. Well, I, I, uh, I try. Uh, thank you very much. Uh, and uh, yeah, is there anywhere any socials you want people to look up you up on? Um, look, I've got a I've got a actor slash performer page on Facebook. You can find it under my name. Uh, I don't really post a lot there. Well, I haven't been the last year or so, simply because you know 
COVID. Yes. <laughs> um, but that's generally where I'll update or there on my personal Facebook. I don't really do the other ones like Twitter or Instagram or anything. I probably should, but eh, who's got the time these days? Yeah, fair enough. Well, thanks again, Scott. Love your work, and I'll see you later. And you will enjoy- every- Oh, no worries at all. <laughs> <laughs> and thanks, everyone, for listening to Troubling Issues. We'll catch you later. Bye. Bye.